is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach. And today, I'm delighted to welcome Krista White to the show. Krista, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Caroline. I am really jazzed about having you. You're going to be talking about creating a culture of true meritocracy in organizations. But Krista, I have to say, I am really excited about your book because you co-wrote it with your dad. And I think that's an extraordinary opportunity. Your dad's name is James D. White. So I have to ask you to help our audience understand how did that collaboration begin before we really dive into the book proper? Absolutely, Caroline. So um, my dad, James D. White, um, has 30 plus years experience as a corporate executive. And uh, we had a few years ago started working together on some uh, projects in the diversity, equity, equity and inclusion space. Um, And I think this book came about as a culmination of what we had begun to learn in that space, as well as his years of experience um, as a black man in the corporate world um, and of being a champion of diversity. Um, The book really brings together um, his experiences and my perspective as a member of the millennial generation and my um, perspective as a woman, as a queer person, um, and bringing that all together. And I'm I'm so grateful for this wonderful combination of uh, intersectionality with your dad and with you and these different lenses. And what I love about the book is that I can hear both of your voices so clearly. So thank you for that. It was just a joy to be able to read it. And I'm eager to unpack it with our audience today. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to chat with you. So let's start with the idea of redefining capitalism to correct a system built on inequality. Help me understand what you mean by that. Sure. Um, so this is a, obviously a, a big topic, and it's become up more and more in the past couple of years since Uh, spring 2020 and the revitalization of the Black Lives Matter movement um, and thinking very broadly about um, anti-racism in our society. Um, For me, um, what I've seen is the ways that capitalism has been um, rooted in, you know, for the past several hundred years in this system of uh, inequalities, namely uh, American capitalism was uh, really built on a foundation of slavery. And you see the ramifications of that throughout um, society today, um, looking at things like the school to prison pipeline or just the incredible wealth gap that there is between white Americans and black Americans. Um, and other Americans of color. Um, And so I would love to see how we can make capitalism, make the system that we work within work for everybody. And that is going to take a lot of dismantling um, and creative collaboration. 
Yeah, beautifully put. So I'm going to pick a little at, at your amazing background, Krista. You're the co-founder of Culture Design Lab, and you focus on the work of the intersection of race and queerness. So tell me more about that and, and thinking about how we're going to dismantle, love your words there, and create this culture of true meritocracy. Absolutely. Yeah, so Culture Design Lab is a family business. Um we focus on, um, it's a new business and we focus on, um, coaching from the, uh, executive, uh, executive teams and from the C-suite, um, about how to transform their cultures to become more inclusive. So it's the real world, real world work we're doing, um, that we talk about in the book. Um, and uh, for me, uh, the important part is in understanding that this is a, a journey. Uh, it's not a box to be checked. Oftentimes you see uh, people doing like a statement and some diversity training um, and saying, okay, we're good. Yeah. But in reality, it's, it's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing conversation. Our um, Language is constantly being updated in the social justice and DEI space. Um, and there's always going to be more to learn about the experiences of others. Um, so I think that's a really um, important point that I would like to emphasize. You know, I'm so glad that you said it's an ongoing journey. And, and your point about language being updated is so spot on and relevant. And and I, I think that's such an important message in this book, because you're right, so many organizations are saying, okay, we've had our DEI training, check, it's on the website, check, and we're done. And it's not, it's an ongoing opportunity to continue with a growth mindset. And I'm so grateful for your commitment to that. But I want to share, when I first got your book, uh, the title, uh, lead title is Anti-Racist Leadership. It, It takes your breath away. And my question to you is, you believe that successful anti-racist leadership should be a part of a thriving business. So tell me more about what you would define as anti-racist leadership, besides the the obvious, right? There's got to be more to it than just that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd say anti-racist leadership is leadership that is very bold in its uh, in someone's stance um, for people who are marginalized and against a system that uh, creates oppression. Um, mm-hmm. So it's in the book, we say this book is not apolitical. Um, I, I do believe that human rights should be apolitical, but in the world that we live in, they're not mm. um, in this specific uh perspective. Uh, So um, I'd say that an anti-racist leader uh, really um, is ready to put themselves on the line for what they believe in. And it's not one thing. It's going to look different for every organization. Um, But part of it uh, that's really important to me is cultivating empathy. Mm. Um, You're not going to be able to truly um, practice anti-racism until you start to understand what people are dealing with 
And this is understanding um, systems at large, and it's also understanding uh, the specific people that you work with who make up your teams. Um, so I, I think that it's really important um, for folks to institutionalize opportunities to listen and learn from uh, their teams, from everywhere from the executive team to middle management uh, to other associates um, to really get a full perspective of how um, these folks' lives are outside of work and how they are um, feeling within the company. How are they, are they able to do their um, job to their fullest? Are they able to bring their full selves to work? And how does that differ between different people of different backgrounds? Can you give an example? Yes. Um, so one example that we um, studied early on when we started doing our DEI work um, was the um, Lean In and McKinsey uh, Women in the Workplace report. Um, so an example um, that they found is that the work experience from women overall might be you know, positive, but women of color have a different experience than white women. So really looking at the data, disaggregating your data and um, looking at an uh, inclusive um, and intersectional view of uh, the people who work at your company uh, is a great place to start. That's awesome. Krista, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your Working Life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So Krista, I want to continue our conversation. And I picked up in the book early on that anti-racist leadership is more than just the right thing to do. But I'd love for you to explain to this global audience how it actually impacts the bottom line of an organization. Yeah, so... um there's many studies throughout the years that show that having a diverse and inclusive um, uh, workforce helps the bottom line. One is one example is uh, the organization A Great Place to Work, um, headed by uh, Michael C. Bush, does studies every year about uh, workplace uh, belonging and uh, employee satisfaction, that sort of thing, um, and it makes sense on a logical level that if your employees feel good about coming to work and feel that they um, can bring them the, their full selves to work, that they would be able to um, be more productive. Um, another thing that uh, it does is uh, it's better for innovation. Um, so people who are um, feeling like they can uh, really be heard, uh, are more creative in coming up with solutions to business problems. Um, and 
one other, uh, two other things I'll say um, in terms of anti-racism and uh, inclusive uh, cultures being good for the bottom line. Um, people uh, in millennials and Gen Z are becoming more likely to um, look at a company's values and their um, DEI uh, before they purchase from a company. So that's going to become more and more important to the consumer. Um, And then also to um, investors as they're looking at um, these as uh, requirements uh, to invest in new companies. that's such a good uh, point. And you know what I find interesting when we look at the um, generational shift by 2025, it's going to be well over 50% of the workforce will be millennials. So we, we need to honor that generation and the interest in values, DEI and, and social responsibility. I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer, but I will say I'm deeply grateful for the millennial generation. They continue to teach me so much and have really impacted my um, success and my satisfaction in the workplace. Yeah, thank you for saying that. We get a lot of flack as millennials <laughs> from both sides, I think. Um, so that is a nice thing to hear. And um, one thing that we, uh, me and my dad have talked about is how important intergenerational learning is. Yeah. And you can learn, like, obviously, uh, you learn from people who came before you who forged the paths. Um, but people who are younger than you also have a new perspective. Like even I uh, have a little sister um, who's 22 and I learned so much from her about, she's studying digital marketing and I learned things from her about social media and like, what are the newest things? Um, So there's, there's always a fresh perspective um, from either um, any generation. um, I totally completely agree with you and it's interesting it's it's a term i don't really love but but there's a term out there called reverse mentorship meaning that younger people can mentor older folks and i think why don't we have to call it reverse mentorship why don't we just call it mentorship but how lovely that it doesn't have to be top down only that it can be multi-generational so yeah we're we're definitely in sync there so krista i want you to talk a little bit more about cultural fit in relationship to anti-racist leadership because there's a fascinating thing happening some people are calling it the great resignation. Some people are calling it the great aspiration. However you want to look at it, there's a deep shift and um, a return to what we value as a result of this pandemic journey. And many people are walking away from organizations that are saying, it's not honoring my values. It's not a good fit. But I, I want to give you space to talk about uh, culture fit and what that means in the context of, of your work. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because it, it it's twofold um, in my perspective. On the one hand, you as the uh, employee want to find a place where you feel you fit in um, and that's becoming more and more important and where you feel respected as a person. Um, and we're seeing this great resignation, like especially in the service industry and frontline workers, um, but we're seeing it across the board. Um, people are fed up <laughs> yeah, and uh, they're, they're ready for uh, a change and they're expecting more out of their employers. Um, from the uh, employer perspective, I'd say um, one of the things we talk about in the book 
is shifting from cultural fit to culture ad. So mm. instead of saying, how does this person fit into um, a certain cookie cutter notion that we have about um, what our um, employees should look like, what our team should look like, which often ends up being um, uh, people from the same cultural background or from the same schools, um, looking at what can this person add to our culture. It's just a little uh, language shift that can help change the way you look at hiring and promotions and retention. I really like that culture ad. Brilliant. So to that end, let's let's pull a thread and, and look at the lens of hiring. And you say beautifully in the book, diversity, equity, and inclusion is not a zero-sum game. And you identify that many, especially privileged folks, are few are fearful that hiring from an equity perspective is going to be a scarcity model for them. So tell me more about that. Yeah. And look, I understand that fear. You're looking at um, years of being at the top of a pyramid um, and you're afraid you're going to be knocked down a peg. Um to mix metaphors a little bit. Um, but in reality, there's folks at the top who are there not because they earned it, but because of, you know, their gender or because of the color of their skin. Um, or that certainly helped uh, boost them up. And in creating um, practices that are more equitable for all, it actually forces everyone to be their best selves. Um, so it's not, it's not that, you know, say a white man is losing out. It's more that everyone has a more leveled playing field. And I understand that that might feel um, when you're looking at, um, you, you might feel like you have more competition than you did in the past. Uh, and uh, one of the things about um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and about anti-racism is that for people in positions of privilege is that you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, there's things that are going to challenge your worldview and how you perceive yourself. Um, and that's okay. That's part of the journey. Well said. Well said. So we'll circle back to what we started with. You focus on creating a culture of true meritocracy. So Everybody in the company can bring their talent and their problem-solving skills to the table. Do you have any examples of, of companies or organizations that are really getting the hang of this and, and serve as role models? Sure. There's there's a lot of major companies that are um, have begun to do this work uh, and are taking a, a bold stance. Uh, I'd say um, one example uh, that we use in the book is uh, Target. Their CEO, Brian Cornell, um, takes bold stances in terms of increasing their representation of Black associates at all levels, especially at uh, leadership levels, um, as well as um, engaging with the community. Um, he made a pretty bold stance, um, even amidst targets being um, looted during uh uh, spring of 2020 um, in favor of Black Lives Matter. Um, so those kind of actions signal, while not alone are not enough, 
they signal to your employees that you're serious about uh, DEI and about anti-racism. I'd say that's one example. Another example we use in the book is um, AdTel and Global Education, led by uh, the former CEO is uh, Lisa Wardell, who we um, speak about in the book um, extensively, um, who's doing a great job of uh, diversity at the top levels of the company. Um, very diverse board, um, which, you know, trickles down uh, as you create these um, um, diversity and inclusion within the top of the company. It's going to uh, create, help create more diversity at every level. Um, So those are just two examples I would uh, use. So Krista, I want to repeat to the audience the title of your book. It's called Anti-Racist Leadership how to transform corporate culture in a race conscious world. So my, my question to you, I believe this is for, for everybody, wherever they are in their career journey, they don't have to be in an an official leadership role to learn from this book. Would you agree? I would absolutely agree that this is while geared perhaps towards CEOs and um, senior executives, we would love for anyone who is an aspiring leader to pick up this book. Excellent. Hey, I have to ask before we talk about how to buy the book, how was it writing a book with your dad? That must have been a lovely journey. It was. It was, you know, we we live on opposite sides of the country and we wrote this in the middle of a pandemic. Um, So it was just a wonderful way to um, learn from him and to spend time together. Um, He just has so much uh, to share. So for me as a writer, it was really fun uh, helping distill his you know, decades of experience into uh, this uh, book that we hope will be a helpful um, playbook for folks. Well, please share with him and I will share with you in front of a global audience that I love it and I have learned so much from both of you and I'm, I'm deeply grateful. So I, I thank you both. And I want to tell the audience how they can buy the book. Of course, they can check it out on Amazon and all major book retailers. But Krista and I were chatting before the show and we, we believe in the power of local bookstores and hope you will check out your local bookstores and also bookshop. If you want to support local bookstores digitally. Krista, I wish you continued success and thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Caroline. You are most welcome. And if you like the show, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave a review because this helps new audience members find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. Thanks for listening.